Hello, everybody. Good evening. Apparently, my microphone just muted itself. Welcome to Between Meals Video Podcast. Uh, my name is uh, George Graham, the pastor here at River of Life Fellowship Church, and your host for this evening. And uh, do me a favor, if you get a chance, throw up a um, uh, a comment or just a hi, hello, and uh, let me know you're here, and that would be fantastic. I want to encourage you that as we're going through tonight to... Um, uh, to feel free to comment, ask questions, uh, chat back and forth with people online while you're ignoring me. It, it's fine. It's all good. Everything everything works out uh, in the end. Um, so tonight we got a uh, Betsy. Good good to see you here, uh, David. Good to see you here. Thank you all for uh, uh, for being part of this. I know this is a very difficult uh, topic that we're going to be dealing with tonight. So um, last week we started talking about it. Talking about an issue that is so pervasive in our world that uh, the reality of it, honestly, is difficult for some people to even grasp uh, of hold grasp the hold that it has on our world. Um, and we began this little journey um, by looking at some of the unfortunate issues in the life of Ravi Zacharias and his pretty intense moral failures. And um, uh, that was a relatively difficult podcast. But uh, as I said. Last week, I feel the same way today, that uh, because I was someone who publicly promoted him, I uh, felt the need to be someone who also publicly examined those followings, uh, those those failings. So uh, as hard as it may have been, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult. It, it still is. But um, really, as hard as it was to look at the failings in Ravi's life, it's actually a lot more difficult to turn that view around and begin looking at us, looking at our own failings. Um, so it's easy to, if you think about this, it's easy to look at the life of somebody else and say, here's 10, where, 10 places where they, where they uh, went wrong, where they fell apart. It's a whole lot harder to look at that and say, here's, here's 10 ways that their life fell apart, but here are 10 things that I can learn from how their life fell apart and how I can actually take those, those ideas and actually turn them back around to me so that I can be better prepared to deal with the things that took them down, so to speak. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Um, last week, the title of the message was, it was time to talk about Ravi. Today, the title is, it's time to talk about us. Um, because this is a serious issue within the church, and we need to we need to deal with this. So we're going to be looking at a couple things tonight. We're going to be looking at how does this issue play out in the church. We're going to be looking at what is the church doing to help, and is it working? Why or why not? Um, we're going to be dealing with uh, the way I wrote it down in my notes was let's stop pretending and get serious about the real issue here. Um, and we're going to take a, a look at what we can be doing to help fight this particular battle, and it is a battle. Um, so when we're talking about this issue, um, hey Christy, how you doing? Um, I want to encourage you guys while you're while you're going. Remember to to toss up some comments, talk back and forth, share, like, subscribe if you haven't, and you're on YouTube. That would be fantastic. I'd very much appreciate that. Um, but one of the most unfortunate realities in the church today, and I remember I'm speaking directly to the church globally. Okay, um, is that the vast majority of churches that I have come across, and honestly. Statistics bear this out. The vast majority of churches do not deal with this subject. They don't like this subject. They don't um, enjoy talking about this subject. And really, who can blame them? Because who wants their pastor up on stage talking about biblical sexuality? That sounds awesome. Um, you know, the problem is, if you don't teach biblical sexuality, then people are going to gravitate to whatever seems right to them. 
we tend to naturally, as people, we tend to naturally take the path of least resistance. So when it comes to something as common to life, and, and by the way, all of us here are the product of sexuality, whether you like it or not. That's the reality of, of being born and a baby, procreation. That's how the species goes on. So we have to deal with this thing. So in terms of, uh, of us, if we don't deal with this from a biblical standpoint, then we're going to take the path of least resistant and resistance. And the path of least resistance doesn't usually go in very good directions. I mean, you're talking about a, a nation, talking about just the United States. You're talking about a nation that can't tell that the majority of people right now can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl, a male and a female. And we're expecting people to navigate their way through sexual morality in in a godly way. Good good luck. This is this is not a good thing. So we have to approach this thing as believers. We have to approach this thing in a way that is God honoring, and and we need to we need to do this in in a very real context. So as I mentioned in some of my uh, previous posts about today's message, I don't recommend you having kids around unless you think they're mature enough to handle the content, because this is not a subject. This is just not a subject that you can dance around. This isn't a subject that you can deal, you you can just try to make sound nice. This is a subject that you have to hit head on, and you've got to use got to use the, the the terms that are there, and you got to confront some very ugly realities. And we're going to do that tonight. Now, I mentioned this last week that um, I've met a lot of people in the church over the years who just don't seem willing to admit that this is an issue. In the church, they're more than willing to talk about the issue with pornography and morality in the secular world because that's that, that's them, right? We're Christians. We're we're God's people. We have the Holy Spirit on us, so obviously this is not an issue for us. This is an issue for them. If this is you, if this is an idea that you have, I, I want to recommend something to you. Wake up, wake up, because. This is not just an issue for the secular world. This is an issue that is also in the church. Um, we need to look at this with our eyes wide open. And some people don't even realize, I touched on this just a little bit last week, how big this issue really, uh, really is. Um, so for those of you who need the real data, here's some, here's some of the data. Oh, there are over 42 million porn sites. Online now, if you as you're looking at these stats, the name in the parentheses at the end of it is where that piece of uh, piece of data comes from. One of the things that I want to make sure that I'm doing as we're talking about this subject is that we're not uh, we're not just glossing over um, things, and I'm, I don't want you to get the idea that I'm just pulling numbers out of my you know out of the air. These are these are statistical numbers that I've actually researched, uh, and I want to make sure I give you the links for these. I put a couple of links to other things in the description. One of them is the, uh, I believe it was the, uh, the title is The Effect of Pornography on the Brain. I really recommend that after we're done, you, you pull that up and, and read it. It's a very, very interesting article. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about it tonight. But here's, here's some of the hard, the hard stats. There are over 42 million porn sites online. 47% of American families report that pornography is a problem in their home. 94% of children encounter pornography before the age of 14, and for me, it was seven, and yes, I remember. Notice, I wrote that there so I wouldn't forget it. Yes, I remember where I was, I remember what we were watching, and I remember how old I was. I actually had to do a little research earlier today to make sure that I was right. Um, but yeah, I was seven years old when I was first exposed to it. 
Um, 56% of American divorces involve one partner's obsessive porn habit. One partner, whether male or female, because it does go both ways. And one-third of all internet porn users are women, just so that we're totally aware of that. 44% of males 11 to 16 admit that they learned what kind of sex they wanted by watching pornography. 44% of surveyed males 11 to 16 are completely willing to admit that their sexual appetites come from them watching pornography. This means that they expect women would perform like a porn star. That's their expectation for intimacy within a marriage, for sexual intimacy within a marriage, is scripted pornography. That's a recipe for disaster. 46% of men surveyed admit, uh, admitted that their consumption of porn... It, um, oh, that's right. That should say elevated, not evaluated. <laughs> the funny thing is I copied and pasted that from the website. 46% uh, uh, of men admitted that their consumption of pornography elevated their taste in porn to an increasing level of intensity and aggression. Aggression. Even to the level that they admit thinking, uh, they may admit thinking was disgusting when they first began watching. That means that their appetite for pornography increased to a level, just, just to make sure we're clear on this, to what they would have thought when they first started watching was disgusting. No one would, no, I would never, would never read this. I would, I would never look at this. These images are horrible. No one should ever have have access to this. But that's what they went for after watching for a period of time. Because pornography is like a drug. You need a little bit more and something a little more intense in order to get the same effect as you go along. As of October 2020, according to analysis of the most trafficked website uh, worldwide, two porn sites are in the top ten of the most visited sites on the planet with the third porn site coming in in the 11th. And those are the names just in case anyone needs to see those on a, uh, uh, if you ever see those come up in one of your kids uh, search histories, you know what they are. According to data from the, uh, uh, from SEMrush, I'm not really sure what that is. The traffic analysis analytics tool, porn sites receive more website traffic in 2020. Look at this. Porn sites received more traffic in 2020 than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Zoom, Pinterest, and LinkedIn.com combined. Combined. The teen porn category has po has topped porn site re uh, searches for the last seven or more years. In 2018, 45 million images of child sexual abuse material, sometimes referred to as child porn, were reported. According to the National Center for uh, Missing and Exploited, Exploited Children, in 2019, that number jumped to 69.1 million. And already in 2020, has experienced a 63% increase in reports in the same time frame. I had a whole lot more information on uh, child porn that I could not bring myself to put up but just to put it in plain terms it is the fastest growing category of pornography in the world today and we'll leave that there 
The world's second largest free porn site received 42 billion views in 2019. That was number two. In a study done in 2006 of Norwegians, I thought this was interesting, 18 to, uh, ages 18 to 49, 82% looked at pornographic magazines, 84% consumed pornographic films, 34% consumed pornography online. Keep in mind, 2006 was the year before smartphones came out. Anyone want to take a guess at what the most used device for viewing pornography is? Smartphones. It's not computers anymore. Smartphones. Because it's easy, it's quick, it's private. (sighs) According to the world's largest supplier of porn, Pornhub, we talked about that company last week, 23% of their consumption is from women and 77% is from men. However, that same statistic, what they also put out was that women stay on the site for longer durations than the men do. The other thing that I looked up, and I, 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 I have, I have all the graphics from their, from their website that sounded wrong. You understand? They're, they're statistical graphics from their own publishing. And I couldn't put it up because of some of the language that they used for terms that were searched. So they put out terms as to what terms were searched by men and what terms were searched by women. And some of the terms searched by women, there's no way to make that palatable to anybody. It was, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked as to what uh, what what it was. But at the same time, there it is. Um, so women stay on there longer and they search for more hardcore material. That should that should trouble everybody. Uh, let's see. So, you know, that's just, those are just secular statistics, just secular statistics. What about the church? I mean, obviously things should be different for, for, for the church, right? We shouldn't be quite as, as, as heavy into these things. Now, again, I want to, to remind you the parts in parentheses at the end of these statements are where this data comes from so that you can understand that this is not just me making stuff up. These are actual studies that have been done and this is the material that they came up with. So when we're dealing with the church globally, here are some things to think about. 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging accepting, or neutral when talking to their friends about pornography. Encouraging, accepting, or neutral. These are are teens and young adults in the church, folks. In the church. Encouraging, accepting, or neutral. Meaning they don't have an opinion whether or not pornography is good or bad. This is an issue. Only 55% of surveyed adults believe pornography is wrong. Between the ages of 13 and 24, more people believe not recycling is worse than watching pornography. Okay. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women surveyed say they watched porn at least once a month. Among surveyed men who admit to regular consumption of pornography, they admit that their actual, that actual sex and the, and real nudity with women are less desirable than their pornography habits. What? 
you read that correct. That was that was I pulled that directly from the uh, from the uh, um, uh, from the from the from the site. Among surveyed men who admit to regular consumption of porn, they admit that actual sex and real naked women are less desirable than porn. One report said it this way, and I could not believe this, that today real naked women are just bad porn, meaning less desirable than a scripted choreographed video. Among surveyed young women, the majority believe that they will, they are not able to measure up to the image and allure of pornography. Because they know young men expect that out of them, they do not believe that they will actually find a meaningful, connected relationship because they will not be able to compete with the imagery of the of the of, of the pornography that's being consumed by the men that they would go after. Keep this in mind, folks. That this is these are surveys in the church. Sixty eight percent of men in the church admit admit to viewing porn on a regular basis. Thirty three percent of women in the church view porn on a regular basis. But eighty seven percent of Christian women have watched pornography at some point in time. Now, some women in this study actually admitted that um, their consumption of pornography was um, also uh, because they wanted to make the man that they were with happy. Okay. How about this? 57 this is this is the this is the one that's really difficult. 50% of surveyed pastors say that porn is one of the largest problems facing their congregation. Only 7% have programs to help people trapped in porn addiction. 50% say that this is an issue. They know that it's an issue destroying families. They know this is an issue causing problems for young men. This is an issue for 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 a lot of people, both young, old, male and female within their congregations. But only 7% have programs in place to help people get out of this. And I have to admit, I don't. I work with people individually, but we don't actually have a published, a, a promoted, I guess would be better, program primarily because I know I've, – I've actually tried this before. Uh, I know why the statistic is so little, and I'd be willing to bet that these majority of people, these majority of churches that admit that pornography is a problem, I bet they do have things in place to help people with this problem, but they're not – they're not public. They're not readily available because the last thing that people want to have on their conscience is being seen walking into a classroom at a church because everyone will know that that night and that time is for people with pornography problems. So there's a stigma that's attached to it. So people don't want to have anything that might be considered public knowledge about this because they don't want to be attached to it. The problem is... You can't get past something if you won't admit that it's even there. Now, this last piece that I put down, uh, I have known ministers in my life that, I, and I found out later, who have occasionally recommended to couples, these are pastors, recommended to couples having intimacy problems to view pornography together to try to get things going. Are 
are we so spiritually spiritually deluded, deluded, that we seriously think for even a second that this is not a serious problem within the modern day church? Do we seriously think that this isn't an issue? We want to believe that it's an issue out in the secular world. And I'm sorry, but this is a this is a this is a this is a, something that's that's I hold very very near and dear to me. So if I get animated tonight, I really am sorry, but it's hard to talk about this and not get animated because it makes me go crazy. The amount of times that I have tried to do something over the years with different churches, with different groups, trying to get something started, and all I get is a no, 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 no. We don't want to be part of this because of the stigma that's attached to it. It drives me insane. But then to find out that there are pastors out there who have recommended pornography to couples having marriage problems, the pornography, I'd be willing to bet, caused more marriage problems. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And if you think about the effect of pornography on the human brain, more recent studies have, have come up um, in regard to this particular thing. And we, we know more today than we did years ago about what this does to the human brain. And it is just amazing. Now, the the report that I put in the comment section, it will also be tagged, uh, for those of you on YouTube, uh, it will also be tagged in, in YouTube in the description. Um, once we're done with this, uh, when, I'm, when I'm done tonight, I'll, I'll make sure it's there. It's called, uh, the website is called fightthenewdrug.org, and it's for people with porn, porn problems. Uh, and it's called How Porn Changes the Brain. I want to read you a, just a quick excerpt about how this affects our neural pathways. So check this out. This says, um, but but there's a catch. This is this is obviously I'm obviously starting in the middle of a thought. So your brain is a very hungry organ. It may only weigh two percent of your body weight, but it eats up to twenty percent of your energy and oxygen. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So resources are scarce up there, especially the ones that grow hair. Just saying. Um, you know, uh, up there in your head, there's some pretty fierce competi- competition between the brain pathways and those that uh, uh, and those that don't get used enough will likely be replaced. The neural pathways that don't get used enough will be replaced with new neural pathways. Um, use it or lose it, as they say, only the strong survive. So the the neural pathways that you nurture are the ones that are going to gain strength and actually gain influence in your brain. Then where uh, that's where porn comes in. Porn happens to be a fantastic be fantastic at forming new, long lasting pathways in the brain. In fact, porn is such a ferocious competitor that hardly any other activity compete with it, including actual sex with a real partner. That's right. Porn can actually overpower the brain's natural ability to have real sex. Why, as Dr. Norman Deutsch, whatever his name is, a researcher at Columbia University explains, porn creates the perfect conditions and triggers that release the right chemicals to make lasting changes in the brain. So viewing pornography actually causes your brain to rewire itself to the point where actual physical intimacy isn't even a turn on to you. Think about that just for a second. 
So you're so interested, and this is when it comes to men, this is something we have to really, really think about. When it comes to men, if you're so interested in the, in the nude female body that you start viewing porn because, because that's something that's attractive to you, and at the same time, the very thing that you're viewing is making you no longer enjoy the real thing. How in the world does that even make sense? This is what the enemy does. The enemy tempts us with something that we think is going to be wonderful, and it actually ruins the real thing for us. I recommend you going back and reading the entire article, because it really is very, very enlightening. It's, a, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how intense this really is. So stop and think about this. When you have a young, developing mind, someone, say, seven years old, you know, or 12 or 14. The average age, I believe, was... So most kids have have found uh, have been exposed to porn before 14, but the average age of exposure was actually 12. Another report revealed that. Um, so you think about this. you get got a developing mind, and while that mind is developing, pornography is actually creating neural pathways that are not only stronger but longer-lasting and consume more of your energy. And they actually rewire your brain to view women or men because remember this is not simply just a male problem this is this is just as much a female problem but it still rewires your brain to view physical intimacy in a way that does not allow you to connect to a partner in a young developing mind it's bad enough when it happens with adults people who are in their 20s and 30s 40s and 50s when you got someone who's been consuming pornography for decades the battle they're going to have to get free of that is far more intense than most people actually are prepared for. And I can vouch for that. You can correct it. But the reality is, it is going to take a very long-term committed effort. And in my experience, even within the church, most people who say they want to get free of it, they're actually not very serious. They want to get free of the stigma because they typically get, typically they want to get, they want to, they're, they're dealing with some sort of, uh, 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 counseling with it because they got caught, not because they were so convicted they just couldn't deal with it anymore. They got busted. So they don't necessarily want to get clean. They're usually just trying to figure out a, a better way to get away with it, so to speak. So what is the church doing to help and is it working? So check this out. Some things that happen in the church around pornography that 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 can help us or hurt us. It might look like this. We recommend accountability partners. How many of you have actually ever ever seen or heard someone say, you know what you need in your life? An accountability partner. And usually an accountability partner is someone other than your spouse. Your spouse is naturally your accountability partner, but they're not necessarily the only one you should have. You need someone that isn't going to have to worry about about crawling into bed with you at night, or 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 you know you're not speaking to them for a week because you've caught them doing something. It needs to be someone who can actually get in your face. It doesn't have to worry about maintaining a relationship, so to speak. But accountability partners are a right and good thing. You know, we, we all need someone that is going to be there. We all we all need that person. But there's a level of seriousness that uh, when I first uh, – hey, Tina, good to see you. When I first started started uh, looking into this and you start seeing uh, things like accountability partners, and I was like, yeah, I need an accountability partner. And even in early days when I would be counseling with guys uh, trying to help them, um, I would say, you know, you need an accountability partner. And 
here's what I've what I've discovered, and you tell me if you've noticed something different. But this is my experience over the last twenty seven years. They don't work, and they don't work because we don't actually put that accountability partner in a place where they have the ability to keep us accountable, okay, especially today. So let me ask you a couple of questions for those, you know, and, and maybe yours, maybe your relationship with your accountability partner is different, but this is what I've come to see that when it comes to your accountability partner, they don't have the password to your phone. They don't have the password to your tablet. They don't have the password to your computer and they don't have the freedom to ask you for your phone or your tablet whenever they want. They don't have the ability to call you up and say, hey, I'm at the front door. You mind coming in? I'd like to check your browser history. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do I need to? And I've had this conversation with other people. And what I usually get is something like this. Why in the world would I give my passwords over to somebody? They should trust me. (laughs) Okay, hold on just for a second. The very reason you have an accountability partner is so they don't trust you. That's the point of an accountability partner. They need to have a healthy, balanced, godly distrust for you. The whole reason we need accountability partners is because we lie to ourselves. We make up excuses as to why everybody else is guilty for the action that we're doing because we know our motives. The very purpose of an accountability partner is to catch you off guard when you're least expecting it so that you don't have time to cover your tracks. That's what an accountability partner is. And that's typically where we don't allow accountability partners to live. Especially, you want, you want me to ha- give you the oper- the ability to just give you my phone at any point in time? Why would I give you the passwords to the device that I use to sin with? You're the one that's supposed to be keeping me from sinning. Why would I give you the very thing that I'm sinning with so you can catch me whenever you want? I hope you caught the sarcasm there. The reality is that this this is the whole purpose of it. So when it comes to things like accountability partners, getting your best friend to do it is a bad idea because they're your friend and they don't want to damage that relationship. Sometimes the best accountability partner you might have is the last person that you would want to give that information to. Just saying. It's got to be someone who's willing to, to, to stand in front of you and be mean. So let me give you a couple of, a couple of thoughts. Um, so my phone doesn't have a password on it because I don't, well, I don't, yeah, no, it doesn't because I don't want to have it sitting down and I don't want to have to, I don't, I don't want my wife to have to give it even a second thought to pick it up and to go through it. And she knows she has she has the right to pick it up, pick this thing up at any point in time and go through it. That's why I don't have a password protected. All of my all of my accounts, all of my material, all of my devices, my computers, my tablet, my laptop, she knows she has access to all of it. Well, what about privacy? What privacy? What do I possibly have? Think about this, husbands and wives. What do I possibly have that is so secret, that is so important, that is so life-changing and and life-altering that I not only have to keep it from my spouse, I've got to put it on my phone. 
Nothing. Anything that secret or that that sensitive, if I'm stupid enough to put it on my phone, that's that's a problem. There is nothing on any of my devices that is so secret that she can't step in and take a look at them. Now, we have different Amazon.com accounts because sometimes you don't want your want your spouse to know if you bought them a gift. <sighs> Absolutely, Lauren. Having an accountability is a must, but it's got to be the right guy. It's got to be the right person. <laughs> that person that makes you uncomfortable every time they every time they come walking up to you. You want an accountability partner. It's going to be that guy that when they walk up to you at church, you already know. Get your phone out of your pocket. Because they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna go through it. They're gonna take take a look at it, you know, and or or at any other time. And that doesn't mean that you clear all your search histories before you come to church. It's got to be that person who's gonna come at you unexpected. Now, something else that we do in church is we put we we put filters and content blockers on things. How many of you guys have seen those? You know, we got really good content blockers. We got really good filters. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Here's here's just just a couple of them. Um, let me get my fat head out of here. So you got. Triple X Watch, you got 3xchurch.com, which is actually a ministry to men. Um, you have Covenant Eyes, and then the other two are available from, from Apple. Um, now, let me, let me um, say a couple of things about these. Um, almost all of them are designed for preventing young children and people who are technologically challenged from accessing pornography. Okay, um, the, And these all work really well for that purpose. You know, there, and, uh, I know some search engines have, uh, content blockers built into them and you can password protect the content. Um, but here's the thing that, that people don't realize is that the content blockers only work if their website registers the content. So if the website doesn't, doesn't actually have, if the website is new and they haven't actually been discovered as a, as a pornography producing website, they don't, it doesn't, they will slip through your, they will, they'll slip through your content blockers and your, uh, your filter apps. But the real problem with these particular types of apps is that they're not for people who have any real serious understanding about technology. Anyone with even a, I would call a a mediocre understanding of technology and search engines, these things are utterly useless, completely useless. Really good for kids and people who are technologically challenged, but for the rest of us, they're a joke. They're a useless joke. Almost all of them have the same flaw, and I'm telling you these things so that as parents and as spouses, you can get your head wrapped around what you need to do in order to properly police this behavior. We look at these things, and we buy a subscription to Covenant Eyes, and we feel really good about ourselves. And, and you know, there's a, there's a blocker on my, on, my, on my web browser, and that's really fantastic. How many of you only have one web browser? Most of these are designed to replace your existing web browser. You use their web browser. Think about that just for a second. You know, even even uh, 3xchurch.com, when you load it onto your computer, now in, in my experience, not only is it not good for your computer's per, uh, performance, it's not a good web browser either. It takes it takes forever, and it's some some things like you know Fox News will get blocked because it might have a girl with a bikini on the cover. So it becomes very, very frustrating to even use them. But these content blockers, they attach themselves to certain search engines or they become your search engine. But it's, it's meaningless because unless you use it, it doesn't do anything. 
So if I put if I if I put you know content filtering on my Safari, and then all of a sudden I I I, I click over to to Google Chrome, then I've done nothing. I have accomplished nothing. And and Apple's um um uh, uh porn blocking apps, I've checked a couple of them out. They're useless. They're absolutely useless. They make you feel good because it's on your computer, but their ability to actually filter anything is nothing. It's completely and totally useless. It's very, very frustrating if you haven't figured out by the tone of my voice. Most browsers also have a privacy setting so that you can get onto the browser and you can click over to private window. I think in some of them it's called incognito, where they actually block the website's ability to track you, and they they don't actually log uh, in the in your uh, search history any um, uh, uh, any traces of where you've been. That it erases it afterwards. Why do you think those were created? Why why do you, why do you think the privacy browser windows were created? Do you think they were created so husbands could create Christmas lists? And so their wife wouldn't know the sweet, wonderful, loving present that they just bought them or vice versa. No, they were created because mankind is depraved and we want to be able to watch this stuff and we don't want to get caught. So they created these privacy apps so that man, so that mankind could be depraved and try to not get caught. It's the whole purpose of these things. People say, well, no, no, no. It's so that, so that we're not watched online. Let me, I, I want to, People who, who believe that, I want you to think about something. Every time you access a website online, your computer sends your IP to something. That website acknowledges the the uh, uh, the request by your computer to access that website, and then it logs the information coming in. The best thing that a privacy blocker can do is scramble that just a little bit. But it's still known. Your, your process is still known. It's still logged somewhere. You're not as private as you think you're being. And at the same time, what are you doing that is so secretive, that is so important, that is so world-changing that you have to block all of your activity from everyone on the planet? That doesn't make any sense, folks. It doesn't make any sense. (sighs) Okay. I'm getting better. <laughs> Absolutely, Joe. Some there there are some that are that are great, especially stuff coming into schools. Because you can block quite a few things, but it's the um it's the personal ones that are the are the difficulty. They they just they just don't work. Um let me show you there's there's other stuff. So other times you can just download for free privacy browsers. Some of you may be familiar with these. Let me uh, let me shut this off here. Um, so DuckDuckGo is a very popular one, and um, it's a it's a privacy browser. So it takes over your browser and it, and it keeps people from being able to track you because it bounces your signal around the world. And then when you leave, you um, there's this little icon at the bottom that you hit it, and all of a sudden, all of your search search history and everything else is erased, <laughs> gone. Little fire thing shoots up through through it. Uh, a friend of mine uh, had, had mentioned it to me a while ago, and I, I checked it out. I, I don't have it on any of my devices uh, because it's pretty easy to tell why this thing was invented. Now, there are some people who use these things for legitimate purposes. I, I get that. I acknowledge that. But let's get real here. <laughs> 
These things were created so people could view porn indiscreetly and not be, not be logged and recognized and not have their name put on a list. That's what these things are created for. Now, the one next to it, Ornet, it's referred to as an onion browser. It's a dark web browser. Now, if you're not familiar with the dark web, now you think about all the seedy, nasty, disgusting things that happen on the regular web. The dark web is where the unspeakably nasty, ridiculously horrible things, like human trafficking auctions, that's where that stuff happens. Now, I can download these browsers anytime I want, go online, do anything I want, erase all the content, and then delete the browser, and then anyone who checks my devices doesn't know a thing because none of the stuff is there, doesn't keep any of it, doesn't log anything. This is how easy it is and how ridiculous it is. When we say, well, you know what we really need to do is put a content, uh, uh, we need to put a content filter on your computer and then everything will be good. No, it's not. Because anyone who knows anything about technology is going to find a way around it. The bottom line is very, very simple and it's unfortunately very, very in your face. You will not find victory from pornography and sexual immorality until you have made the choice to do whatever you need to do to find that victory. For me, the very first step was telling my wife. That was the very first step. And we did that a long time ago. And if, if I've fallen since then or if I have trouble, trouble then, she knows I'm going to tell her. If I'm struggling, I'm going to tell her. Because I need that support. I can't do this on my own. If you think you can beat pornography on your own, you're, you're fooling yourself. You are absolutely fooling yourself. You are not strong enough to defeat this on your own. And some of you might be going, yes, I am. No, you're not. No, you're not. This, I mean, you've literally are not only fighting an addiction, you are fighting your own neural pathways. You need help to do this. It's just that simple. And until you've made the decision to do whatever it is you need to do in order to find that victory, you're not going to find that victory. You can put every piece of content filtering. You can put every piece of monitoring equipment on your devices. It won't make a bit of difference because even if your devices won't, won't actually access this stuff, pornography is all around us. It's everywhere around us. We just have just been so desensitized to it that we don't even notice it half the time. A lot of us think that the battle against pornography is against the hardcore porn industry. But that's actually not where the fight is. You see, if you think you're going to fight the hardcore porn industry and win, you're fooling yourself. Smut peddling has been around since the beginning of time, and smut peddling will be with us until Jesus returns. That's just that simple. There are always going to be depraved people among us. There are always going to be men willing to pay for sex, and there are always going to be women willing to be paid for sex. And unfortunately, today, there are also going to be men and women who are willing to be videotaped when they're being paid for sex. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. We're not going to beat that industry. But we can still beat the issue if we just understand where this begins. It never begins with anybody with hardcore pornography. 
The battle is what I talked about last week. Passive acceptance of immorality in our lives and in the church. That's where this battle rages, and that's where we need to fight. As Christians, if we don't fight this in the passive parts of our life, and I'm going to get to what that is here in a second, then we will never actually find it in the intentional parts of our life. So um, you think about this. Let's start with a simple question. Is God's word the absolute standard for all things regarding morality and immorality in our lives? Is God's word, is scripture, the absolute standard for all things moral and immoral? Is that where our only understanding comes from? It should be. It should be. So let's look at some of the things that scripture says about this. I'm only going to share a few because there's a ton of them. How about this? Mark 7, 20, 23 says, and he, and he said, what comes out of a man that, uh, what comes out of a man defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, uh, uh, fornications, murderers, um, uh, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and uh, uh, an evil eye, um, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So this should help us understand something. There is a natural tendency for wickedness within us. Are we going to let it out, or are we going to deny that old man? Are we going to deny the depraved part of us? I believe Scripture tells us that we are supposed to put down the old man and to take captive these thoughts because they come from within. How about this one? Ephesians 5.3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even uh, not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Let it not even be known to be among you. That's how far away from this we should be. How about this one? 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. No, the, 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 actually, I'll get to this in a second. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Sexual immorality is the only sin listed in Scripture where we are told not, where we are actually instructed not to fight it. We're told to run from it. We're not told to, to you know, stand your ground and show that porn movie who's boss. Nope. It basically, it says, run. Run. That comes after you? Run. Just run. Don't even try to fight. Just run. Um, that's an important thing. That's a very important thing. Now, you think about this. When it says that sexual immorality when, when we engage in this, we sin against our own body. There's a number of different views about this, um, and maybe I'll do another talk on this in a, in a, in a, in a future podcast. But there is a view that when we engage in sexually immoral conduct, we actually can bring hardship and sickness on ourselves. And I know some people don't like to talk about that, but there is a very interesting parallel for this, um, and it's, 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 it's difficult. Now that doesn't mean that if you have problems in your life, if you have physical maladies, that you're some sort of some sort of disgusting, immoral person. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how this can actually cause real serious problems with you um, when it comes to, to our to our physical health. And I've heard lots of testimonies from people who have come out of the porn industry, becoming Christians, who have actually 
referred back to this and their own sickness and their own maladies and the difficulty they had physically while they were while they were in that business and how it changed once they came out and became a Christian. It's a very interesting thing, but it might be something that we might talk about down the road. Uh, so last one here, Colossians 3, 5 through 7 says, Therefore put to death your, member, uh, uh, your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once, wa- uh, once walked while you lived in them. Do we really believe that these types of verses, and there's, there are literally hundreds of other ones, do we really believe that these ver- verses are the authoritative word of God for all believers for all time? Please listen to me. Do we really believe that these types of verses, these discussions from Scripture on immorality and moral behavior are the authoritative word of God by which we will be judged when we stand before him uh, and when when this body stops working. Do we really believe that this is what we're going to be judged by? And that it applies to all believers for all time. I got some questions for you. When we start talking about what can we do, what's our part? If we really believe this, think about this. How many of you can honestly say that your TV viewing habits agree with those verses? How many of you can say that your TV viewing habits line up with that truth? Hmm? This is what I mean by the passive acceptance of immorality in our lives and in the church. We have become so desensitized to immorality that we watch it and we absorb it without even thinking about it. We don't even recognize it as immorality. Let me give you a couple of examples. How many of you have the box sets for Game of Thrones on your shelves? How many of you do? You don't have to put it in the comments. I'm just, I'm just asking you to think about it. That show doesn't belong in the home of any believer for the amount of smut, the amount of absolute disgusting sexual content from rape to gang rape to gay sex. It's all in there and it's all through the entire series. Well, it's a good story. Really, I only buy the magazine for the articles. Well, I only go to Hooters for the wings. Can we please stop lying to ourselves? Can we please stop making excuses for our own love of passive immorality? How about this? How many of you watched Breaking Bad? How many of you watched Modern Family and still do? How about the show Spartacus? How about the show Shameless? You know that Spartacus, Shameless, and uh, California, Californication, True Blood all made the list of, of some of the top TV shows containing nudity? Yet we watch them. We talk about them. We make jokes about them. Some people reference them during sermons. The list goes on and on. You see, we think we're good because we don't watch the hard stuff, but we completely ignore the fact that we have kicked the door open to passive immorality and we've desensitized ourselves to soft pornography. These TV shows are the marijuana of the porn industry. They're the gateway. They get you in, they get you hooked, they get you interested, they get you watching. They get you looking at this stuff to the point where you don't even realize 
how immoral these things are around us. Let me give you a perfect example. How many of you fathers out there, and I've used this example a bunch of times, would allow your daughter to sit around the house watching TV with her boyfriend in her bra and underwear? Now, I usually say that and people freak out. I don't even know why we're talking about this, Pastor. You put a picture in my head and it's gross. Hold on. We're getting to the right spot. No one would allow that to happen. Yet, you'll also allow your daughter to wear a bikini to the beach or to the to the water park, which is usually smaller than a bra and underwear, with the same boy who's also basically naked. And you think for some reason, because they're Christian kids, that this is not going to be sexually arousing for them, that they're not going to start to think about other things. And hey, that water slide's really fun. We're, this is what I mean by passive immorality. We're so desensitized to this that we, we go to the beach. This, 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 this drives me absolutely insane. We go to the beach and you talk to parents about going to the beach and they say, Oh, I hate going to the beach. All these little girls running around in these bikinis and these people look at them. These guys look at them and then they, you know, and they're, they're, they're so, you know, they're being so turned on by all these little people. You're still there. You are still at the beach. You still go. You still buy the swimsuits. You might be disgusted by it, but guess what? You're there supporting it. You're there in the middle of it, and you're doing nothing to stop it. Your presence is support. The very fact that you allow your children to wear these types of clothes because you can't find anything else. That's a bunch of crap, and we all know it. Get on the internet. You can find anything you want. Believe me, you can find clothes that your daughter doesn't have to tug, pin, or tape. It's not that difficult. The problem is you don't want to have the difficult discussion with your child about why you're not letting them out of the house wearing that. A lot of guys talk about that. Oh, my daughter's never going to leave the house like that. Really? She just did. It's crazy how much of an excuse we make for this. And then all of a sudden, we, we we look at someone like Ravi Zacharias and we think, what a disgusting pig. Gosh, how did he ever get to that point? I can tell you how he got to that point. He got to that point because the passive immorality all around us is accepted to the point where we become desensitized to the level that it is right now. And we need something more. We need something Something, something harder. We need something more, more intense. We need something that's going to be more fulfilling. We need that little bit more of the drug so that we can get the fulfillment that we had the last time we just looked at something simple. The other day I was walking through Walmart and I, I just happened to pass the uh, DVD section and I, I saw something that's probably been there for a long time and I just, I just haven't noticed because I don't care. I walked by the DVD and right on the end cap, was a whole section of Fifty Shades of Grey. And I actually stopped and I just realized this is... Now, the end cap in retail is... That's real space. I mean, that's that's like coveted area. That's when you want something to sell. That's where you're putting it because you want it to be right in front of people's face. I can remember... When those types of movies at the rental place were in a small room in the back of the store, 
because you would never put those things out in public because young children are going to see them. And everyone knew that this wasn't the material that young children should be watching. But yet here we are at Walmart with one of the most publicly pervasive uh, um, pornographic pieces of pieces of film that have been made in a long time. And we call it art. Now, we don't call it directly pornography, uh, and I actually haven't figured out why. Maybe it's because Hollywood did it and not some dirty man in his basement. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. You look at TV shows that are around today. There are dozens of science fiction shows. I love science fiction. One of the reasons why I've always loved science fiction is that historically, historically, science fiction stayed away from sexual content. There might be like Captain Kirk kissing the green alien and then it would fade out and then it would go to something else. But that was, that was, that was it. I can't watch science fiction shows, say the modern ones. I can't watch them because the completely, the addition of completely unnecessary sexual content, it never does anything for the story. They're just putting it there because they want to put it there. I remember me and my wife were, were uh, watching the show, the Netflix show, the 100. And the first season was cool. We were like, wow, this is great. Well, you know, what an interesting story. And we, we were watching the second one. About halfway through the second season, two girls kissed. And we went, oh, God, what is going on? Where is this? Where is this going? But that was it. The very beginning of the third season, we stopped. We stopped. I think we got halfway through one episode. And we were like, okay, that's it. That's the end of that. Because of... The absolute unnecessary addition of this sexual content. We got recommended to us a show called The Expanse. I don't know if some of you have watched it. It's space. It's science fiction. I'm like, yeah. But I had read something that it had some weird sexual content in it. And we were like, okay, so what does that mean? If I'm not mistaken, I think we got 10 minutes into the first the first episode. We just shut it off. Because of the absolutely graphic sexual scene that was completely i'm imagining unnecessary to the story but there it was in the very first episode but here's the thing that happened that, that that's even worse see we canceled our netflix subscription because of shows like this because we were not willing to we were not willing to give our money to a company that was going to produce this kind of crap for lack of a better phrase but when we make the choice to support the soft stuff on regular TV, we give up our right to complain about the hard stuff everywhere else. When we as Christians are willing to passively support soft pornography on TV, at home, in our clothes, in the music we listen to, then we have no right to complain when hardcore pornography shows up in other areas of our life because we have allowed it in the door. We have allowed it to come in and get a foothold in our family. We have allowed it to come in and get a foothold in our life. And that becomes our fault. That's no one's fault but our own. We have welcomed it with open arms. Where in reality, this is where I really admire like fundamentalist groups that are absolutely like over-the-top hardcore about this stuff. Um, I actually used to, I was, I was very turned off about that stuff for a long time, but I actually admire their commitment to that level of purity. I don't necessarily agree with the extent that some of them go to, but I absolutely admire their commitment to purity. It's, it's, uh, it's something I wish the charismatic church would, uh, uh, unbury their head and start paying attention to the world around us. 
the reason that we find hardcore porn in the church is because we passively allow softcore porn in our homes. That's why we find it in the church. We do it with TV. We do it with the clothes that we let our kids wear. We do it with the music that we let people, that we uh, let members of our family listen to. They have sexually explicit lyrics in them. These are role models that kids look up to. How much of a role model do you think someone like Miley Cyrus should be to your children? She shouldn't. We should weep for Miley Cyrus. Because she's got some very difficult days ahead of her when she stands before God and has to give an answer for the absolute moral train wreck that her life is. And you could list a hundred other celebrities that are the same in the same category. See, until we're willing to clean up our own lives and our own homes, we have no right to stomp our feet and get angry at people like Ravi. I actually believe, and this is something that I'll get to at some point in time down the road, I actually believe that at some point in time, I think Ravi could have been reached. I think he could have been helped. Because I firmly believe he had a love for the Lord. I firmly believe he wanted to do right by God. But I believe something got in his life, and it grew, and it grew, and it opened the doors to appetites that he may not even have been aware he had. But just like anybody else moving into an area of immorality, if you do not squash that thing, it will grow, and it will get roots in your life, and it will become something that is unmanageable for you. So what can we be doing? Here's a couple of things that I think we should be thinking about. First things first, examine your own life. When it comes to this issue, examine your own life. What is it that's in your life that needs to be taken out? And what is it that needs to be added in? Do you have programs that you watch that need to be taken out? And are there other things that needed to be added in? Like maybe going to a Bible study? Oh, here's a question. How about reading your Bible? Are you one of those people who um, uh, reads their Bibles, Bible and prays, or are you someone who has a Bible and thinks about praying? Are you developing your godly habits as much as you're developing your not church-focused habits? Are you spending as much time working on, say, scripture memorization as you are trying to memorize the lyrics to the latest, you know, song that you might happen to like i was talking to someone a little while ago and it's actually kind of embarrassing i could probably repeat all the lines to basically all of the star wars movies because i'm a sci-fi junkie and i'm kind of a nerd but there are some sections of the bible that i couldn't quote you if someone asked me where this particular scripture uh, scripture was i'm not sure in my mind if i could totally get there and that's largely because I rely on different different pieces of technology. All I got to do is type it in, and then boom, and I'm I'm there. That's actually very uh, condemning to me. I'm a professional minister. I should put more emphasis in this. You know, I mean, the material's there. I, I'm the the interpretation, everything. That's not that's not an issue for me. Um, but I should know more. I should be more prepared to. To, to bring people there right off the bat. And it's embarrassing that I'm not. Um, especially when I can, you know, make all the, uh, repeat all the lines from, some, from Star Wars. Uh, how about the second thing that you can be doing is ask your church leadership what resources are available to help people with this problem. If not for yourself, because obviously you don't have a problem, right? If not for yourself, so you can actually direct other people to the help that they may need. 
Now, if your church does not have anything available, ask your pastor if you can contact me, and I will happily get you started because I do know where a lot of these resources are. Um, uh, I've been, like I said, I've, for a long time, I've been working with men in this in this area, and I do know where the resources are, and I do know where the programs are. I just usually do it on a one on one basis. Now I feel the need to do this on a more public basis. Uh, and honestly, it's sad. I, I, the more people I talk about this, the more people look at me like I'm, you know, I've, I've got four heads because I speak about these things so openly. But I don't have, an, I, I can't find another way to do it. Uh, I can't see a way of getting the point across by being, by worrying about being politically correct. Um, the language is very simple. If you're not, if you're, if you're going to talk about pornography and sex, and you're not, not willing to stand up and say the words pornography and sex, then you're probably not going to get a whole lot done. Um, so if you don't have these resources in your church and you and and you want to get something started, please contact me. But talk to your pastor first. Make sure it's okay, uh, and then and then if you if you need to contact me and I can get you started in this in this area. Um, third, uh, place yourself in a position of uncomfortable accountability. Uh, let me ask you this: If your spouse does not have all the passwords to all of your devices and all of your accounts, why? Why? What is it that you have to hide from them? What is it that you could possibly be hiding from them? If your spouse does not have the option to look through your phone or your devices whenever they want, why? Why is that? What are you hiding? Well, I'm not hiding anything. Well, then there shouldn't be a problem. Well, it just feels weird. Why does it feel weird? Why won't you allow them to trust you the way you want to trust them? Why not be open like that? There should be nothing that you should be hiding from your spouse. Nothing. Who else other than your spouse is holding you accountable? Do they have the passwords and accesses to your devices? And if not, why? If you have any of these privacy apps, VPNs and things like that on your devices, why do you need them? Why do you need them? Do you honestly think that you're getting away with anything? <laughs> do, you, do you honestly think God can't see every place that you've been searching? Do you honestly think God doesn't know what you're doing with your devices, or what you're looking at, what you're seeing? Do you honestly think that you're getting away with anything? You're not. All you're doing by keeping this stuff private is keeping yourself from getting help. That's the only thing that these devices are doing. This is the only thing that these apps are doing. This is the only thing that these VPNs are actually doing. They're actually creating an environment where you are not going to get the help that you need because you'll never actually admit to the problem. Do you honestly think that your life and the things that you do are so important that you need to hide all of your internet activity from the world? Do you carry nuclear launch codes in your phone? Do you carry top secret military information in your phone? If you have information in your phone or on your devices, it is that secret. And you're not actually a top ranking government official. If you have information that secret on your phone, there are two problems. The first one is that someone was dumb enough to give you that information knowing you'd put it on your phone. <laughs> and the second issue is that you actually put it on your phone. There should never be anything that important on your devices. Folks, these these are these are these are tools. 
You know, if you're putting if you're putting life altering information on your phone, then honestly, if someone gets it, it's your own fault. It's it's just silly. There's nothing in our life that is so <laughs> so important that we've got to hide it from our friends and our family, and our spouses. There is nothing about this this material. There's nothing about this this. Uh, there's nothing about your life that is so <laughs> that has got to be so secret. You know, I mean, maybe there's some people out there who who actually are. You know, maybe some of you are secret spies, and I, and I don't know about it. You know, that's that's fine. If that's if that's who you are. Hey, fine, do whatever you need to do. Um, me and my wife got LifeLock a few years ago, and that actually works out really well. But but here's something that I do: I don't put my information out there. Because it's stupid. It doesn't make any difference. I don't carry top secret family information on my phone. I carry it in my brain. Where it belongs. I write it down on a piece of paper. Put it in a notebook. That way, guess what? You know what's really hard to hack? You're a notebook. You know that none of your... that when you, when you have a small notebook, something like, something like this... This is not Bluetooth enabled. You know, want to know what, you know what you use with this? They're called pens and pencils. They're actually writing utensils. You, you use letters and words, uh, and, and, and numbers, and you actually write stuff out in long form, and you put it on a shelf, and all of your information is there, and no one can get it unless they break into your house. You see how easy this is? But we put so much stuff on our phones that our phone becomes, we become addicted to our phone. And we spend all of our time doing this. Instead of spending our time pursuing other more meaningful things, more life-generating things, things that are better for us. I'm going to stop because I think I've beat this horse long enough tonight. Um, Just remember, take some time and examine your own life. Try to find out what resources that are available to you and make sure you're placing yourself in an area of accountability, real accountability, not kind of fake accountability. And parents, if you're watching, if you're looking at this, um, uh, please keep in mind a, you know, a couple of different things. Um, allowing your kids to have some of these privacy apps on their phones allowing your kids to have hours and hours and hours of unsupervised unsupervised access to, to TV and internet. You are creating a situation and you are allowing a situation to be created that could put them in a hole that they will be in for the rest of their life. You are not there to be their friends. You are there to be their parents and to prepare them for a world that is not kind. Please make the point to take the hard road and to prepare them for battling this issue because it is not some, it's a battle that the church is losing and the church is losing it in big ways. And mostly we're losing it because we don't even believe the fight's real. And that's enough to make me sick, but there it is. So hopefully we've uh, been able to to help some people. Um, Like I said, if you, uh, uh, if you need any help, please contact me. 
Um, uh, I'm available. Uh, I'm open. <laughs> Hopefully you realize that. And uh, I've been dealing with this issue for a long time. Uh, I've come up with some good resources and honestly some good methods to, to, to help people fight this and actually find some victory. So there you go. Thank you guys all for being here. Please uh, share. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe. If you're on Facebook, please switch over to YouTube and then subscribe. That helps me out tremendously. And uh, Lord bless you guys. Next week, um, I have a, uh, I'm going to be remodeling my office so my computers actually won't be up. Um, so I have a recorded um, uh, interview that I did with a, a psychologist in the area. We're talking about mental health in the church. It was a really good conversation. I've got to whittle it down to, to, uh, to a manageable time frame. Um, but that will be broadcasting. I will go live for a little bit to, to, uh, announce it. I'm just going to hit the video and let it go. Um, but that's going to be next week. Um, same time, uh, you know, Wednesday, six o'clock. So, uh, hope to see you there. Lord bless you. Have a fantastic week. 